you have your Bibles, you can turn with me to Mark chapter, Mark chapter 5, and you can pop out your outline. Um, you'll see Jairus and the bleeding woman is the uh, pathway that we're going to be on this morning. So Mark chapter 5, starting in verse 21 through 43. And I'm going to read this passage and know that it's quite a longer passage than uh, we would normally uh, chart through, but this is uh, all one little uh, section here. So while I'm reading, uh, if you would, uh, what is kind of helpful here in this moment is as you read it, and as I read it aloud, try try to put yourself in this situation. Try to visualize the sights and sounds. Try to put yourself and see all the different interactions happening. So let the words on the page try to come alive in your heart and in your mind as I read it. You got uh, 21 through 43, so you'll have a moment to just think through all the the scripture and put a a picture on it in your mind. So let me read it, and then would you follow along with me verses 21 through 43 of Mark chapter 5. And when Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered about him, and he was beside the sea. Then came one of the rulers of the synagogue, Jairus by name, and seeing him, he fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her so that she may be made well and live. And Jesus went with him, and a great crowd followed him and thronged about him. And there was a woman who had a discharge of blood for 12 years and had suffered under many physicians and had spent all that she had and was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard the reports about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his garment. For she said, if even I touch his garments, I will be made well. And immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt it in her body that she was healed of her disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned and uh, asked in the crowd, who touched my garments? And his disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing around you, yet you say, who touched me? And he looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. Verse 34, and he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. While he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, Your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? But overhearing what they said, Jesus said to the ruler of the synagogue, Do not fear, only believe. And he allowed no one to follow him except for Peter and James and the John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the ruler of the synagogue, and Jesus saw a commotion, people weeping and wailing loudly. And he entered, and he said to them, Why are you making a commotion and weeping? The child is not dead, but sleeping. And they laughed at him. But he put them all outside and took the child's father and mother and those who were with him and went inside where the child was. Taking her by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately the girl got up and began walking, for she was 12 years of age. And they were immediately overcome with amazement. And he strictly charged them not to tell anyone or no one should know this, and a beautiful part, and he told them to give her something to eat. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, help us. We come to your word, wanting your word to change us. We confess we need you. We need your word. We need your leadership in our life. And so as we come to this text this morning, would it do a work in us? Lord, we love you, and we thank you for Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. 
So if we look back where we have been, you see that Jesus began by teaching his disciples on the other side of the sea. He's teaching them and teaching them in parables about the kingdom of God. And he has spent great time and depth teaching them all the things about the kingdom of God. And so he says, let's go to the other side. And while they're on the boat in the middle of the sea, what happens? But a great storm arises up and the disciples are afraid of what's outside the boat. Jesus says, peace be still. And the waves go completely still. And then they get to the other side where there's not a hotel to hang out in, but there's tombs and a man with a myriad of demons in him. And so Jesus casts out these demons into the pigs and the pigs go overboard and fall into the sea and drown themselves. And the people terrified ask Jesus to leave their region. And so Jesus is going to get in the boat and go back to the other side where he's expecting some time to rest and recover after all these things that have happened, right? Not so much. Right? It seems like Jesus has gone from one crowd that loved him to a storm on the sea to a crowd who hated him and wanted him gone back to a crowd who loved him and so much so they're pressed up all around him. The crowd's just pressing so tightly around him. And let's, let's dissect our first two people here. You've got Jairus and this anonymous woman, but point number one, they find themselves at Jesus' feet. Jairus and this anonymous woman find themselves at Jesus' feet. Now, let's look at these two people. Jairus first. Jairus is a ruler at the synagogue. Jairus has many resources. He's got uh, a lot at his disposal. Jairus is the kind of man who, when he says something, other people do it, right? If he says, hey, y'all go take care of this, y'all go do this. Jairus is the kind of guy who has influence and authority in which people uh, take his command. Jairus is a leader at the synagogue, so he's going to have authority at the synagogue where people worship. He was allowed in. He could worship. And for 12 years, he's enjoyed the presence of his beloved daughter. We have some younger kids, but we know that our kids fill our homes with laughter, with tears, with some crying, but with joy in our hearts. We love our kids. And so for 12 years, Jairus has had his daughter alongside fill in his home with joy until this point that recently she has struck and ill to the point that she's almost dead. And so Jairus comes to Jesus with this petition to heal his daughter. So you take Jairus, a well-connected, very affluent, many resources kind of man, falling down before Jesus, and you pair that with this anonymous woman. We never get her name. The Bible never records who this woman is. All we know her by is her affliction. Was her, which her affliction is not something that I would want recorded in the, for all of time. She's got a discharge of blood. And for 12 years, for 12 years, not joy in the home, but for 12 years, she has sought after physician after physician. She has tried everything possible to get rid of this ailment that will eventually be her demise. For 12 years, she has been unclean. For 12 years, she's not been able to participate in temple worship. For 12 years, she's been on the outcast of society. She sought after every remedy in the books and is only getting worse and not better. See, both Jairus and this anonymous woman find themselves squarely at Jesus' feet. The very place that they need to be, the very place that we all need to be, but they find themselves at Jesus' feet. These two roads paralleling themselves right at Jesus' feet. This man of great influence, this man of great power and authority, this man of great social clout, this man of great religion, and this woman who's anonymous, who's got nothing left to offer, unclean on the outskirts of society, both of them find themselves at Jesus' feet. 
the end of themselves. Nothing else is helping. Nothing else is working. And they find Jesus. I'm just going to tell you today that when we recognize our great need, our great, the depth of our need of Jesus in our life, the earlier and the quicker we recognize that we simply need Jesus, the better off we will be. When we recognize that we simply don't have it all together, when we realize our affluence or our wealth or our circumstances or our resources or our authority cannot simply make all of our problems go away, that we need to rest ourselves firmly at the feet of Jesus, the quicker we come to Jesus in humility and say, yes, I can't do this. In my marriage, Jesus, I need you. In my home, Jesus, I need you. As a neighbor, Lord, I need you to help me understand what it means to be a neighbor. As a leader in business or as a servant in a different place, Lord, I need your leadership in my life to help me through whatever I face, whatever struggles and circumstances I come to. Lord, I need you in my life. The quicker we recognize our need of Jesus, the better off we're going to be. And friends, can I tell you, there's seasons and circumstances in my life where I have felt this greatly in my own heart, that I've tried to barrel through and say, I I think I can do this. I got this together. And I just barrel through trying to do it all in my own strength and power by trying to put things in my life to give me peace and give me joy. But at the end of the day, I I just need Jesus. And so I'm guilty so often of exhausting every resource, exhausting every nook and cranny, and then coming to the end of the day and saying, I've tried everything that I've got. I guess it's time to fall down before Jesus. See, that's not how it should work, friends. Dirk, as as often as the sun rises in the morning, we see his mercies are new for us every day. As often as we get our feet off the bed in the morning, we say, Lord, today, today, whatever I come to, whatever circumstances, whatever I face, Lord, I'm I'm coming to you, giving you everything that I am. Lord, I need you. I'm going to follow you, and I need you in my life. The quicker, friends, we recognize our daily, hourly, step-by-step dependence on the Lord for everything in our lives, the better off we're going to be. Let's go to this second portion because we're going to find out more and more as we dig in here is that the woman finds healing. You see that Jairus has come and implored Jesus to come with him to take care of his little daughter. She's at the point of death. And as Jesus is going with Jairus to take care of his daughter, a great crowd continues to throng around him. And this woman, believing that if she just touches Jesus's garment, she'll be made well. Recognize in the book of Acts that the people would line up on the streets hoping that the apostle's shadow would just come and be cast on them, that they would be made well. And here, this woman, this anonymous woman, believes that if she just touches Jesus' garment, she'll be made well. She risks so much in this interaction to come to Jesus. She's tried everything, gone everywhere, tried every possible conceivable place to get healing. It reminds me of Luke 8.43. In which it says that nobody could heal her. In the same way, we looked at the demon-possessed man that said nobody could contain him, that she's gone everywhere. She has tried everything. In the same way, the townspeople tried to to carry out the the demon-possessed man. They tried every possible tactic. Nothing was working. In this case, this woman has tried every possible way and means. And so she reaches out and she touches Jesus. 
Immediately the flow of blood dried up and she felt in her body that she had been healed of disease. And Jesus, perceiving in himself that power had gone out from him, immediately turned in the crowd and said, who touched my garments? I want you to stop for a moment and just put yourself in this situation. Put yourself where we are. People are just pressed all against Jesus so tightly. They're they're pressed all against him. And he would dare say, hey, who touched me? It's like being at the Iron Bowl and leaving after a game and standing up and saying, hey, who touched me? Somebody touched me. I know somebody did. Who did it? It would be kind of a dumb question, right? Because, of course, hundreds of people are touching you, right? You remember those days back in the day before Corona when we go to stuff and people would be pressed up against you. You know what it was like. And so Jesus pressed people all around him, but he recognizes in that moment instantly that someone had touched him and power had left his body to heal this woman. And I'd be remiss if we didn't look at this and see that there are people pressing so tightly against Jesus, touching his garment, being all next to him, being right on top of him. Yet there's something different about this woman. It says a power left Jesus, that she felt the healing come instantly from his body, but people are pressed in tightly and nothing affected them. I'll tell you, if there's anything that I am possibly prone to, it's being so near to Jesus constantly. I grew up in church, sitting on the second row of um, a beloved church that I grew up in from a young age, listening to sermon after sermon after sermon, going to countless Bible studies, listening to worship music on countless occasions. But the thing that I can be guilty of is Jesus being so near to me but it not affecting me at all. We can come in and do all the right things, press ourselves and position ourselves so rightly near to Jesus, but never having any changeable touch from Jesus in his word, never letting his word affect us and change us. We can come in, listen to the songs, listen to the sermons, and just leave completely unaffected. You know, the countless others who press themselves against Jesus, but never had anything quite like this moment with this woman. I don't want us to be guilty of that. We come into this place. We come to God's word saying, Lord, I am an open vessel. My heart is open. Whatever your word would say, Lord, I'm ready and willing to be used. I'm ready and willing to go where you would go to remove things in my life that don't need to be there. And the greatest mistake we can make is to come to God's word, to come to who he is and just simply be near to him, but not changed by him to not let his word pervade our spirit, pervade our heart. So his disciples say, Jesus, the proud is pressed up against you. This woman comes falling in fear and trembling before Jesus, tells him the whole truth, and he says to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. This woman risked everything, this unclean woman, Wrist touching this religious leader. In that moment, this unclean woman risked making this clean man very unclean. And so she's afraid, she's fearful that she has just messed up this guy, this Jesus that everybody has pressed up against, that her uncleanness cleanliness has made him unclean. But in fact, what has happened is his holiness, his purity, his cleanliness has made her uncleanliness clean. The very thing that God has done for us in Christ Jesus. He's taken our uncleanliness, our sin, our shortcomings, our shame, 
And when we trust in him, when we put our faith in him, he makes us whole. He makes us clean. He makes us righteous, not ourselves, but his righteousness given to us by his sacrifice on the cross. So this woman finds healing. Not a tongue lashing, not embarrassment, not calling out in front of everybody saying, how could you touch me? But what does he say? Daughter, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. Now, on a parallel track, while he was still speaking, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Why trouble the teacher any further? Think about this for a moment, that Jairus has come to Jesus. He knows that Jesus can heal, and so Jesus is going with Jairus, and Jairus is probably thinking, this is good, right? This, this man is going with me. We're, I'm going to get my daughter taken care of. Everything's good. And Jesus has just heard the words, daughter, your faith has made you well. And he's probably thinking about his own daughter who is at home on the brink of death, saying, Jesus, come on, we got to go. we got to go, Jesus, come on. we got to move out, get the crowds out here. Jesus, we got to go. And to hear these words right after, verse 34, daughter, your faith has made you well. While Jesus was still speaking these words, there came from the ruler's house some who said, your daughter is dead. Ride trouble the teacher any further. Can you imagine the despair that hits Jairus' heart thinking, we're too late. We've lost it. All these people have messed up the progress of Jesus. My daughter is now dead. This woman, this daughter is now healed, but my daughter is now dead. What is Jesus' response? You see number three on your outline is the same. Jesus says, do not fear, only believe. Jesus' calling to us, to Jairus, is do not fear, only believe. You may say, as I say, as reading this verse, that Jesus, this is way easier said than done, right? It's way easier said than done. Don't fear, only believe. It's, it's mighty easy to just simply say, hey, don't be afraid, don't fear. Jesus takes this group back to this house. He, he takes her by the hand and says, Talitha kum, which means little girl, I say to you, arise. And immediately she got up and began walking. And Jesus is calling to us the same as it has been, faith, not fear. You can imagine Jairus thinking, Jesus, his response, man, this is bad, this is bad. But Jesus says, do not fear, only believe. Remember on the boat when the disciples are losing their minds, scared to death about what's going to happen, what does Jesus say? Where is your faith? Believe, trust, do not fear. And so... I recognize that this is difficult, that at times we want to look inwardly and we want to believe in ourselves. The disciples wanted to say they're they're good sailors. They can figure out how to navigate these difficult waters, but they simply could not. There are things that we're going to walk to, things that we're going to face that we simply don't have all the answers for. It's in these seasons we look to a familiar phrase, a familiar psalm in Psalm 23. If you have your Bibles, turn over with me to Psalm 23 for a moment because this is going to give us such clarity about how we can exercise faith in the faith, face of fear. When Jesus says, faith, not fear, he's not telling us to take confidence in what we can do inwardly, not telling us to take confidence in what we can do to fix the problems and situations, not to take confidence in all the resources that we have amassed to fix our problems, but who we are putting our faith in into 
Psalm 23 reads, The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And the Lord is our shepherd. He is our leader. He is our guide. At times, a shepherd, what does he do? He leads his sheep beside still waters. He leads them in green pastures. And at times, that shepherd leads his sheep. At times, that shepherd carries his sheep over his shoulders through difficult terrain. That shepherd leads and guides and goes before. The Lord is our shepherd. And so we trust our shepherd to lead us into paths of righteousness for his name's sake, that he's going to restore our soul. He's going to lead us beside still waters. He's going to make us lie down in green pastures, that the Lord is our shepherd. He is our guide. He is our leader. So we trust in him. We put our faith, our trust in a God who leads us, who guides us and goes before us. Did you know as well as I do that this verse doesn't stop there? That even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death. Don't forget who your shepherd is. That at times our shepherd allows us, allows these hardships. And even though, even though our Lord is our shepherd, even though we will walk through the valley of the shadow of death, who remains our shepherd? Even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, even though we face hardships, even though we're in storms with Jesus in the boat with us, even though we walk through difficulties and struggles and hardships and pains and just struggles that this world provides for us, even though we walk through the valley of the shadow of death, what does the next word say? I will fear no evil. Why would we fear evil? Why would we fear because who our shepherd is, who's with us. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. For who is with me? You are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. From the very reason why we can take courage, why we can take heart, why we don't have fear in the face of struggling and hardships and the winds crashing and struggles and pains in the valley of the shadow of death is not what is in us but who our shepherd is, whose rod and staff comforts us, who prepares a table before us in the presence of our enemy and anoints our head with oil. This is who we put our trust in, the God who formed you, the God who created you, who flung the stars into the sky, the God who gives us life and breath, who holds all things together by his righteous right hand, the God who knows the number of hairs on the top of your head. This is the God that we are putting our trust and faith in. And so he can say, do not fear, but believe. Do not fear, but have faith. Jairus and this bleeding woman both had their stories intersected by a but God moment. Jairus' daughter perished, but God. This bleeding woman was about to perish, but God. See, we allow our but God to move us forward in faith. We allow the reality that God knows, loves, cares, desires relationship with us, knows us intimately, and is the God who can and is willing and able. We allow our but God to move us forward full of faith. Friends, if I gotta walk forward into an unknown future with what I can muster and put together, my knees begin to tremble. 
but as I look back on God's past, past faithfulness time and time and time and time again, as I look back and see his faithful hand at work over situation after situation after situation after situation, it allows those trembling knees to quicken. And we can move forward, not full of fear in the unknowns, but full of faith in who we're trusting in. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you. Lord, thank you for Jairus. Thank you for his 12-year-old daughter. Lord, thank you for this anonymous woman. Thank you for their exercise of faith to trust in you, Lord, and I pray it compels us to trust in you too. Lord, the words, do not fear, only believe, those are hard words. Lord, we live in a hard world. Lord, we we want to we exercise our faith to trust in you even when it's hard even when we're weary, even when we're tired, Lord, we want to simply trust in you. We want to fall down at your feet and allow you to fill us, lead us, guide us, shape us, mold us more into your image every single day and every circumstance. Lord, we love you. And it's in your matchless name we pray. Amen.